Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Solidarity Good morning, Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, David Story. It is Saturday, March 27th, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, March 28th, 2021, on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama, and sometime next week on WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana, for the first time. Today we are coming to you commercial-free, courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO. We're kicking it off with Stephen Robbins, an immigration attorney out of Yakima, Washington, about farm workers for Farm Worker Awareness Week. We'll be taking calls with him on farm workers and then without him on anything you want to talk about. So get the number ready, 1-866-494-9866. All this and more on today's Valley Labor Report. Uh, So first off, I want to say hello to our new listeners on 102.3 FM WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. You can thank Dr. Deary for allowing us to have an hour of your time. Uh, So you'll be able to hear 59 minutes of our program, but we are on the air here in Huntsville for about an hour and a half. So to get the full Saturday show and our extra midweek content, make sure you're following us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and or your audio platform of choice. The next announcement we've got is the North Alabama DSA normally has a necessities drive on Saturday afternoons, afternoons, uh, but due to a chance of inclement weather, they have canceled it today. You can go back next week from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local 558 Union Hall to donate to the North Alabama DSA's necessities drive. Yeah, that's what I was just saying. No necessities drive. I was letting folks know. Uh, if you want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day and see our extra midweek content, then you need to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore AL. David is on Twitter at Radical Unionist. That's spelled R-A-D-I-C-L Unionist. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for The Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there, and we also clip segments that you can watch throughout the week. We also upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.fm slash subscribe. We've got a website where you can buy our awesome union-made hats at the valley labor report.org 
And finally, if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air, then consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. So, like I said, today is our commercial-free Saturday, courtesy of the AFL-CIO State Federation here in Alabama. And to kick us off, we've got the legendary Majority Report caller, Stephen Robbins, on the line. He is an immigration attorney in Yakima, Washington, and host of Redirect, a podcast on immigration law and perspectives to talk to us about farm workers for Farm Worker Awareness Week. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Jacob, I gotta say, uh, you can hear me, right? I can hear you. You sound great. That's that's good radio when you ask if the <laughs> host can hear you. Uh, I gotta say, when you're blowing up, when I first talked to you, you were broadcasting from like a ham radio, I think, in, in a right. closet somewhere. Yes. And yeah. That, and now you're you got a Patreon, you got merch. This is out of control. Got a Patreon, got merch. We're on three radio stations in this two is states. I think that makes yeah. us being in two states makes us a nationally syndicated talk program doesn't it we're going we're going we're going to say that anyways as far as i'm concerned <laughs> i think being on the internet makes you international global that's so. true we have you know the our last uh our last uh, show that, that we did commercial free courtesy of the Alabama AFL-CIO was uh, we had a bunch of callers and we had several folks uh, talking to us from Germany, from the UK, from Canada. Uh, so This is awesome. You know, I love what you're cool. doing. It's incredible. Thanks I, for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. I will say though, you know, the thing about the internet stuff that that you know makes me think that, that doing the radio is worth it is that like you can get, let's say you get 10,000 listeners on the internet but that if you get 10,000 listeners uh scattered across you know all 50 states and half a dozen countries you know i don't know how how well you can mobilize that where if you get 5,000 listeners in a 25 square mile area you know mm-hmm. that's something that can actually be actionable uh, and that's you know so so i'm i'm really proud of being able to be on uh, uh three stations uh, here in in alabama and in louisiana and so hopefully you know hopefully that does some stuff but i don't know we'll see we'll see what happens i'm enjoying it i'm having a good time uh so you know steven you do a podcast and i i i listen to it regularly um it's called redirect and and it's uh a you say you say a semi-weekly dive into uh you know immigration law and perspectives talk to us a little bit about your podcast really quick yeah so um I don't know, 2013 or 14, uh, I was in some immigration lawyer Facebook groups and uh, found a a colleague of mine that was uh, similarly, I I guess, uh, had the same disposition in terms of like uh, how we viewed our clients and how we viewed the work that we were doing. And, and you know, we said, let's do a podcast. So uh, we've been trying to do it once a week um, as, you know, as much as we can. It's very exhausting work and we don't always have uh, the time, Uh, but we try and um, approach the issue of immigration law in a way, you know, we have family members who are non-lawyers who listen. And, and so we've tried to tailor the show in a way that is accessible to uh, people without legal backgrounds. I mm-hmm. I think you I think that you succeed in that I I feel like I'm definitely not a lawyer and I and I feel like I learn a lot every time I listen to your every time I listen to your podcast and and uh, so I definitely recommend folks find that I listen to it on Spotify it's a redirect so you know a lot of your clients are 
farm workers. Uh, it's Farm Worker Awareness Week, and on one of your podcast episodes, you said that uh, uh, one of your clients had to, in a trial hearing, um, basically kind of talk about what a typical day looks like in their work. So I'm assuming that you can uh, that that you can recite that testimony from memory, <laughs> yeah, uh, word for word. Um, yeah. So. It was in a recent trial. Um, This woman was, uh, you know, fighting for her ability to stay in the country with her family. And, you know, the judge is supposed to weigh sort of all of the factors. Um, Her her employment history is one small factor. A lot of lawyers might gloss over it, but I decided to have her really lay it out, especially in light of the pandemic and the fact that, like, I've been working at I've been working in sweats, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for a year uh, from the comfort of my home. For the most part, I go into the office once in a while. But um, every time I call a client for an appointment, they're stepping out. They're usually outdoors. Uh, they're taking a quick break. Uh, you know, they they have very limited time to, to, to speak to me because they're working. They're out doing the hard work. So I thought it would be good to have her... Um, really explain what she does because there's this tendency to say agricultural work and we just, I don't know, we have some sort of like amorphous vision of somebody picking apples, I guess, right, into like an old wooden crate. Um, And, you know, what I've found over the years working with farm workers is that the work is actually much more technical than that most of the time. Um, there's also this belief that uh, um, farm workers are fungible and, and any, it's work that anyone could do, but that most white people just don't want to do. But in fact, it's, it's difficult work, not just in terms of the toll it takes on your, on your body, but in knowing how to actually do it. And so she, she started to explain that she does work year round. Some farm workers work seasonally, some work sort of most of the year, but she has a job at a set uh, farm where she works all year round doing different things. So at the beginning of the season, um, it's a process called thinning where you've got to go through and thin out the flowers because you can't have a tree with too many flowers that's bearing too much fruit or the fruit won't be very good. Hmm. And so you've got to know how to, how to do that and how to, how much thinning is the right amount of thinning. I mean, I have no idea, right? Um, and then later on in the season, obviously, is is um, uh, pruning and, and getting the tree to be the right shape and the right have the right amount of branches. Again, these are all things that are I spent a lot of time in school <laughs> and I have no idea what she's even really talking about. I mean, very vaguely. But these are things that she's learned how to do mm-hmm. over a long period of time. And then the harvest comes and then there's usually other type of work um, around the farm, uh, cleaning up and doing other types of things. So um, it was really interesting to hear her talk. And the interpreter actually didn't know all the words for things like thinning and, and so on. So it became the sort of complicated conversation. But I think it's a good illustration of how our sort of simplified vision of what it is farm workers do uh, it, it falls so short of the reality most of the time. Right, right. I think, and and you mentioned this in in the podcast as well that I, you know, it, our our imagination of low wage work in general 
falls so short of what actually happens and and what the and certainly what the people deserve uh, in in these uh, you know ostensibly low wage uh, jobs where where you're ostensibly re- re- replaceable because you know like you said this isn't this isn't something that you could just, like I would not prosper <laughs> in that environment you know I it, it would be it would be very very difficult like you said not only as far as the toll that it takes on your body but uh, but just learning all the intricacies and the ins and out of everything that, that you have to do as a farm worker. It's, it's really, it's really difficult work physically and mentally. Yeah. And even beyond the, you know, what I've laid out, there's other factors to consider, like the weather, what's going on with mm-hmm. the weather, uh, what happened at not just the weather now, but what happened in the winter and how does that affect the trees or the, the produce, um, the different varieties of produce and how they might react to the pruning or the thinning or, or things like that. And so, and it's also important, I think, uh, for viewers to understand there are, like I said before, there's sort of every type of farm worker. There's people who are stay at home moms, but they know that the apple harvest is very lucrative. So they'll go into the fields and they'll work the, the harvest for two or three months. And that's sort of all the extent of the work that they do during the year. But there are other people who live on the farms and farm provided housing and and work year round. And these people are so uh, integral to the functioning of those farms. Um, and yet what I found, uh, oftentimes these are people who have lived and worked on one singular farm for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're still making uh, 11, 12, $13 an hour after uh, 15 or 20 years. So what you see is that um, if you're a lawyer and you get more experience and, and you, you know, become better at your job, obviously you can make a great deal of money. If you're the mm-hmm. world's greatest farm worker and you're the hardest worker and, and you you know how to fix the tractor that's fidgety and you know how to, you know, you know every in, in and out of that particular farm, there's this pretty hard cap on um, what you can make. And so those are some of the inequalities that I think, you know, we really need to be aware of and pushing to, to have uh, changed. Not only the wages, though. Uh, there's, like you said, there's a real, there's a really hard cap on on you know the wages that the best farm worker in America can make. But uh, I mean, every everything surrounding their employment and their immigration status. You know, I, I introduced you as, and this is your you know your day job, so to speak. What you what you do to make a living is you're an immigration attorney. What you know, what is the immigration status of a lot of these farm workers? How, wh- what do their interactions look like with the United States government, with the in- immigration system writ large, and and how does that affect kind of their their work and their life and and you know everything about their existence here in the country? Yeah, so there's no real strong statistics on how many agricultural workers are documented or undocumented. Some estimates say up to half, uh, maybe more, are undocumented completely. Um, I will say this is completely anecdotal, but a few years ago I decided to try and uh, or I decided to start and ask people in the cons- the initial consultation if they've ever worked with a white person uh, at all in, in the fields. A single and white person. What's that? A single white person, like one. A, a single. 
And there were a couple people who had story. They'd, they'd sit back in their chairs and they'd go, you know, there was this guy 10 years ago in California who came out to the grapes and he was there for about a week. And then we never saw him again. There were a couple stories like that. But everybody else said just straight up no. <laughs> so uh, that doesn't give you a great uh, uh, sense of the documented versus undocumented uh, makeup of, of the uh, agricultural labor force. But it does, I think, give you at least a sense of the, the racial makeup of, of what's going on in the fields. Um, yeah, a, a lot of people are undocumented. Um, and, you know, they, I've seen... Some of the and everybody knows it. That's why agricultural workers are exempt from E-Verify, uh, e for example, because it's just this, you know, it's this known thing that if we were to actually enforce uh, the immigration laws in the agricultural labor uh, mar market, uh, the entire industry would collapse. So it's not so it's not some small thing, right? It's not oh four or five percent, and we'd learn how to deal with it. Right. Um, it's it's a significant portion. Right. Right. How does that? Uh, you know, you what does being well, what does being undocumented do to their to their employment status? But also, what does being documented do to their employment status? You talked about in in one of the episodes uh, the H two A visa, um, and and how the employers actually keep their passport, like the boss has their passport instead of the workers. And so, what does you know what? Talk to us about both of those realities like what what does it look like being an undocumented farm worker and what does it look like being a a documented farm worker who you know came the right way or or, or whatever we're supposed to say yeah so if you're undocumented um usually you'll have to have uh some sort of fake uh green card typically or made up social and um it's very easy to get work out in the fields uh, with those kinds of things. Um, if you're looking at a job, for example, at a packing plant or um, something that's where the, the work is more perhaps year round or, you know, it's indoors, it might, there might be jobs that facilitate, you know, uh, being less mobile or having a physical injury at like a, a packing plant, that sort of thing. Those are jobs that might have an actual HR department that might actually look into your legal status. And so those jobs might be harder to get, not impossible. But all, all that means is that if you're undocumented, you can definitely find work, but your mobility is, is definitely limited. So your ability to just uh, go somewhere and, and plug yourself in uh, is, is really restricted. Um, now, they oftentimes find a way just to, to work uh, without status, obviously. But um, you know, those things become more difficult. For people with status, I mean, there's there's sort of two different things. There's people with green cards or with DACA or TPS, people who are allowed to be here, they're, they're documented. Um, and then there's the H-2As, which is what you mentioned, which are the temporary visas where we bring people over, we plug them into to jobs, they're provided housing, uh, the prevailing wage, uh, there's certain rules and restrictions. Um, and they work for the season and then we ship them back, right? They go back. Mm -hmm. um, the H-2A program, in my opinion, is, is very problematic. Um, and this is the, the program that 
the growers and, and the farmers really want to have beefed up. They want to make the process easier. They want there to be less regulations. And by regulations, I mean things like, you know, the the the, the housing should have, you know, toilet paper in the bathrooms, those, those sorts of things. Um, uh, and so the, the H-2A, the problem with the H-2As is... Uh, it's very hard for those workers to stand up for their rights. They do have some rights, um, but it's hard for them to organize. Um, they uh, are often under the sort of implicit or explicit threat that if you are too uppity about your mm -hmm. rights, well, we can send you back and you're not going to get your visa back for the next season, right? right. And so... And there's lots of other problems with that program. I think there's a great book that your audience might enjoy called Defiant Braceros. And the Bracero program was like the first iteration of the H-2A. Uh, we brought over uh, Mexican men during World War II to help in the farms. And we just sort of kept that program going. And really, uh, one thing that was interesting about that book is that the Bracero program and the H-2A visas is its own form of family separation. Uh, we bring over just the just the men and they leave their families behind for, you know, long stretches of time. And that's a real strain on the sort of family unit, as you can imagine, if you've ever been in a relationship or been married. Imagine if you just had to lose your spouse for three or four uh, months a year. Mm. And so um, for some reason, the H-2A program is a manifestation of, of the fact that as Americans, we've just never come to terms with the idea that farm workers should live in our communities. They should be paid a living wage. They should be able to live with dignity. Um, <laughs> we've just never accepted that idea. So we're, whether it was slavery or uh, Jim Crow laws or uh, the Bracero program or the H-2As, we're always trying to find a way to bring in brown bodies from somewhere else, mm. to pay them the lowest possible amount, and then to get them the hell out of here when they're done serving our purposes, right? right. So, um, yeah, I think that was not even totally an answer to your question, uh, but... Um, that's sort of the the types of documentation that we see in in farm worker um, in farm work. Yeah, I'm, and, and you know the I think my solution is it, the the solution that I would propose. I, you know, I don't know about any border stuff, but the the folks that are here at least that have been doing the work. I mean, they should they should have full rights at least to residency. They you know they should be be able to be uh, permanent residents and 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 get full rights of residency. And we can talk about citizenship because that entails voting. And some people have a problem with that. I I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. But you know, uh, opponents of this say that. Um, Say say that uh, uh, oh well if you give amnesty that's going to encourage more people to come across the border. Uh, but then on the other side of their mouth they will complain about undocumented immigrants uh, taking jobs and working for low wages and 
uh, bringing down wages for Native Americans or you know Native born citizens, uh, and and it's like, well, look, do you and and they'll also say, oh, it's absurd to think that anybody actually wants to deport every single uh, every single undocumented immigrant, and you've got these three completely contradictory things. Like, you know, do you want wages to rise for everybody, including Native born Americans, or do you want to deport every single undocumented immigrant? Or do you want to, uh, you know, I mean, you you can't you can't hold all, all of those you can't hold the thoughts that deporting all of them is in, unconscionable, you, and that we shouldn't give amnesty to them that that are here. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, uh, that I think what I think you're touching on something which is really important, which is that. Uh, the reason why immigration is so complicated and, and we're constantly searching for sort of like simple, memefied understandings of what's going on, like the senators going down to the border, uh, for example, is because it's not just immigration. It's also labor issues. Um, labor is such a huge part of it. Um, it's also like international global politics, right? Like coups that we did 60 years ago echoing through through time to the present day or that we did in um, 2009 right we you don't <laughs> right i'm talking about older coups but there's also newer coups um or the one so, that we tried in 2019 i mean you know i was there's a lot <laughs> right and so um it, it's not so simple as you know we want to find the silver bullet or or one one uh, one easy way to tie things up and it's just not possible um you know it, i'm looking at the farm work workforce modernization act for example or, or the solutions that we see from from the right or from the growers and nowhere does it ever suggest i mean they, they admit we have an issue with labor we can't seem to find people who live here to work these jobs and nowhere is anyone saying like what if we had a $15 minimum wage in agriculture? Or what if we had insurance benefits for, for um, agriculture? <laughs> Nobody's trying to use actual free market principles to incentivize people to take those jobs. Um, and, and that's a, you know, a major failure, I think. <clears throat> One of the things about the Farm Worker Modernization Act that you pointed out was that the fact sheet um, uh, it uh, tried to assuage the concerns of growers that it would raise wages for farm workers. Like it said, the the question, the myth was, oh, will this raise wages for my employees? And the answer was like, oh no, don't worry about that. We're not going to do that. This is not going to do that at all. <laughs> don't worry. Right. We we found this uh, FAQ. Um, myths and fact sheet um but it was put out by i don't even remember the name of the group it was some sort of grower conglomerate um you know produce fresh or something like this um and it's funny because if you find a fact sheet that's put out by you know um a more pro-immigrant group it's going to highlight the things that are good for the workers um but this fact sheet i think is very revealing because um it, it highlights the, the concerns of the growers, which are, hey, isn't this going to raise labor costs? And the, the fact in the fact sheet is that, no, in fact, we, you know, it caps the growth of wages. So don't you worry. Um, 
you know, wages are not going up. Uh, other frequently <laughs> or uh, myths are, isn't this going to be easier for them to sue us? Uh, doesn't it create uh, new actionable rights for the workers? And the fact says, no, you know, don't worry. They, they have no new rights. Um, and then one of them that's really interesting is uh, from this fact sheet. And we should just back up and say this is the, the farm work modernization um Farm Workforce Modernization Act, which has passed the House, right. and, and it does provide some limited uh, benefits for farm workers. Uh, the benefits are problematic, in my opinion. But right, um, Stephen, we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break. We've got about twenty seconds left. I want to yeah. let folks know that you can give us a call one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six if you've got any questions for immigration attorney Stephen Robbins. Thank you to the Alabama AFL CIO for sponsoring today's show. We will be back. One moment. Huntsville's number one news, talk, and weather station. WVNN FM. WVNN FM Trinity. A cumulus station. It's 10 o'clock. From ABC News, I'm Brian Clark. Authorities in Egypt today said they are working around the clock to free the massive container ship that is stuck in the Suez Canal and blocking one of the world's busiest trade lanes. But they do not have a clear timetable on how long it will take to free that ship. ABC contributor Steve Ganyard says this delay could raise oil prices in the U.S., among other consumer impacts. As hundreds of ships back up at either end of the canal, it creates a backlog in global trade. Most of that will be felt initially in Asia and Europe, but the longer it goes on, the better the chance we feel it here in the U.S. President Biden Friday criticized Georgia's new voting law. He was asked if there are any actions he can take regarding voting legislation. We're working on that right now. We don't know quite exactly what we can do at this point. The Justice Department is taking a look as well. But Republican Gabriel Sterling, who implements elections in Georgia, said the claims that the law is racist are off base. Among other aspects, this law now makes it a misdemeanor to, for people to distribute food and water to those waiting online to vote. Sterling says that was just closing a loophole. Literally, we have reports where they're handing out Warnock water. I mean, that's the issue we're running into. So we basically closed the loophole. They can still hand out water and food. This has to be 150 feet away, the way it has been for decades in this state. Some protests are planned. Governor Brian Kemp at a statement said these are common sense reforms. Coronavirus case numbers on average are rising in 18 states, but vaccinations are also increasing. The U.S. now averaging more than two and a half million per day. So Dr. Anthony Fauci says every day that goes by that we hang on a bit, it makes it less likely for a surge to occur. But if people just put aside all public health measures, namely put the masks aside, go to bars, go to restaurants, you're going to see a surge. Reports in Myanmar say more than 90 demonstrators were killed today on what's been the deadliest day of violence since protests began after a military coup. You're listening to ABC News. Do you check your Google search results regularly? You should. People often get their first impression of you or your business online. Negative comments on the Internet can impact your life and your livelihood. Take control of your online reputation. Get your free reputation report card at reputationdefender.com. It may reveal negative posts from an ex-employee, upset patient or client, news article, legal issue, or even exposed personal information right there in your Google search results. Uncover what's lurking on the Internet about you with reputationdefender.com patented scan and get your free reputation report card. 
or for immediate assistance with your reputation, call 800-401-6681. Our cutting-edge technology helps make your Google search results look their best. Call 800-401-6681. That's 800-401-6681. 800-401-6681. Or take the free scan at reputationdefender.com. It's your news now. WVNN. Depend on it. Put it there, boy, we'll... Show these fascists what a couple of hillbillies can do. All right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator David Story. In the studio, we've got friend of the show, Adam Keller. He is an educator, labor organizer, stuff like that. He's a good guy. We like having him. And uh, on the line, we've got... Stephen Robbins, he is an immigration attorney out of Yakima, Washington, the legendary Majority Report caller Ronald Reagan, and uh, and uh, uh, we're talking about farm workers for the uh, for Farm Worker Awareness Week. If you want to ask him a question about farm workers or immigration, the phone number is one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six. Again, the phone number is one eight six six four nine four WVNN. It is also up on the screen so uh so yeah you were talking about the farm worker modernization act i had to cut you off sorry about that uh steven but uh i'll I'll let you pick up where you left off so rude that's okay (laughs) um let's see uh well so we were just talking about the 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 myths and the facts according to the growers one thing that um uh, that the growers are concerned about uh, one of the myths in this fact sheet. It says uh, this bill creates a new private right of action. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong one. Let me turn the page. Uh, illegal farm workers, their spouses, and all their dependents are provided a special expedited path to legal permanent residence, and will move out of agriculture and into other jobs in the economy. So the growers mm-hmm. are worried that if we legalize the undocumented undocumented farm. A labor force they're going to not want to do farm work in other words they've sort of set up a system where they know that uh because it is hard to get a, a legitimate job without papers if you want to go work at a bank or you want to mm-hmm. open a business those things are not impossible but they're harder without papers the farmers are recognizing in this fact sheet that <laughs> if we legalize these people and they have uh, labor mobility all of a sudden that's really going to affect us and so what the fact sheet does is it quells those concerns by letting them know that don't worry this bill does not create an immediate path to permanent residence it creates a, a temporary status and actually one of the things i find problematic about this bill is it requires farm workers if they want to qualify for permanent residency in the future to continue agricultural work for a certain number of years. It's a, it's a sort of form of indentured servitude, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, anyways, I think that, um, you know, this shows that even the, the solutions that we're coming up with as a country, the, this law that, um, or this bill that recently passed the House, it was written by the growers and it was designed mm-hmm. with the growers in mind. Right. One of the things that that, that uh, you also mentioned is that when the coronavirus hit and there was a, a real big tank in the economy because of some old law, uh, f- growers were able to get a lot of money uh, 
it to be able to sustain their their businesses and almost none of that trickled down to the workers to the people who are actually doing the work picking the uh uh you know picking the fruits putting the food on our tables uh but the people who owned all those businesses by virtue by virtue of what other people's labor who got the profits that they were able to make those investments with um they got all the money yeah, there might be people listening who, who are thinking, well, he's talking about a $15 minimum wage for farm workers. Like the farms are going to go completely out of business. There's no way they could afford that. The, the wages are low, not artificially, but because that's just the economic reality of the farm. But that sort of idea was completely dispelled when during the Trump administration, our president decided to go and start some trade wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and suddenly China and other places were saying, well, we're going to buy our soybeans somewhere else. We're going to buy our apples somewhere else. And so what did they do with that? Unceremoniously, we gave billions of dollars to farms right. saying basically, oops, sorry, we wrecked your economy. Sorry, you no longer have uh, uh, customers because of some stuff that our president said or did. Here's billions of dollars. And so the idea that like, you know, we couldn't have some sort of package in place that allowed for farm workers, not just farmers, but the farm workers to have a back, like a federal backstop to make sure that they make enough to pay their own bills is, um, you know, it's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, certainly it, it, it just does. It, it doesn't make, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, folks. Like they, I mean, seriously, on the one hand, they'll say, you know, that they just basically have to accept what they're given because we're lucky we don't kick them out. But then they complain about um, wages being wages being drawn down for for everybody else in in that kind of economy. And and sorry, I I thought I I misremembered. I thought that the those billions of dollars were given out during the coronavirus, but it was because of the trade war trade wars uh, during the last administration. So, you know, what are. you, you, you mentioned a $15 an hour minimum wage, stronger labor t- protections, stuff like that. What are some of your other, uh, you know, what would be some of your other prescriptions for trying to, um, you know, do justice to the workers involved, uh, keep the economy in place, maintain reasonable prices for goods? You know, what, like, you, you know, you said that this is a really, uh, a really complicated issue and, and even memefied things like, uh, uh, you know, maybe even what I was saying is, is not really tackling the complexity of, of the issue what are some of the things that you would put forward in in your you know Stephen robbins's uh Stephen robbins is is king of the united states tomorrow what does he do oh boy um well uh as, as you know uh agricultural workers are are uh, categorically excluded from the national labor relations act um that's the law that gives employees the right to self-organization to form or um uh, or join a union to collectively bargain, um, and farm workers are excluded. Agricultural workers are excluded from that act, um, and that's actually not really well defined in the NLRA. Um, the NLRB has some flexibility in defining what is or isn't an agricultural worker, but you know who's in charge of the NLRB depends on you know, could change every four years. So there's no real stability there. So I think if you, um, if I were king for the day, the first thing I would do is empower 
agricultural workers with some of the same protections. I mean, we see how hard it is with what's going on uh, with Amazon or in other places uh, for now, workers who are protected by the law, technically, hmm. it's still ex- extraordinarily difficult to uh, form and organize a union. How much harder must it be for uh, folks who don't have those same protections? And so um, they need to be empowered. Uh, they need to be protected under the law. And then, you know, we need to talk about incentivizing uh, people to take those jobs um, and, and providing uh, real benefits and, and then we need to just uh, come to terms with the fact that, look, if you are somebody who's going to employ somebody, <coughs> uh, you know, they, they should belong in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they should, uh, this, will, this is a pie in the sky thing, so, but you did say I get to be king for the day. Right. Um, if you live in the community and you're affected by policy and things that are going on, there's no reason why you should have to wait uh, either indefinitely or for some drawn out period to be able to vote, you should be able mm-hmm. to vote. Um, and I think that that means uh, allowing people who who are living here and working here to be, you know, voting U.S. citizens with uh, uh, the full rights uh, that that go with that. Right. Um, you mentioned so, with those labor protections that that it's really difficult for them to form a union. And and when I was talking to you earlier this week, trying to set this up, you know, I asked, I was like, hey, do, are, do you work with any kind of uh, unions really closely, or maybe uh, union organizers there that that you could bring on with you? And you said, at least in your area, that there's virtually no union presence, and that and that really speaks to you know this. If if there is a you know if there is an uh. a a most exploited class of workers in this country it has to be you know it would have to be undocumented farm workers but um you know uh, and and so they would be the most in need of organization and unionization but but you know they're just they're they just don't have that in a lot of in a lot of uh, in a lot of circumstances right yeah that's true there were here um some packing plants at the beginning of the pandemic uh well throughout the summer really who were uh, organizing and their demands were really very basic. Um, they wanted, uh, I think, an, a, an extra dollar an hour for hazard pay. Uh, they wanted access to actual PPE because they were being told, like, you know, too bad. Um, and so they were able to organize and to uh, get some of those concessions. But it was hard. They were people were driving by and threatening them with uh, with weapons. Um, they were, you know, being fired from their jobs and, and replaced by, you know, um, uh, other workers. And so, um, yeah, it becomes a real struggle just to get, you know, the the baseline human yeah. dignity type of thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there was a poultry plant in Mississippi. Uh, I guess this was 2019 or 2018 now. It's been so long, but I keep coming back to it because it's one of the most gross examples that that i remember seeing is that the it is represented by a union there are a lot of undocumented workers there uh, but it is represented by a union and the union won a sexual harassment lawsuit uh, to the tune of millions of dollars um against management at this company and almost immediately after the uh set after they they won that that settlement um ice was called uh anonymously quote unquote you know I mean, you know what that means. And they arrested six 
hundred workers on site. Like ICE just barged in to the poultry plant and ran out with six hundred workers. I mean, just the and 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 you know, if folks, you know, and and so folks listening may think, well, they broke the law. That's what happens. And like, if you don't like, if you don't understand the the inhumanity of that, of being taken, ripped from your communities, from your job while you're at work, while you're providing for your community and your family uh, and the rest of the country. And if you don't think that has an adverse effect on uh, citizen working conditions, which if, if that, even if that's all you care about, like that's gross and you need to, you know, think about, uh, you know, you, you, you ought to kind of think, think a little bit more deeply about what I'm presuming knowing this audience is your Christian commitments. But, uh, you know, even if that's your only concern, if you don't think that uh, uh, like straightforwardly attacking organizing immediately after winning and that that means you know that there was sexual harassment that was bad enough at that plant that they were willing to fork over millions i think it was three million dollars that's some bad sexual harassment if you don't think that attacking organizers and uh, deporting them has an adverse effect on citizen wages and citizen working conditions like you know you need a reality check you need to get out of your uh, of the the nonsense kind of nativist propaganda that you've been listening to and um it, you know if anybody wants to call in ask uh, Stephen a question again the phone number is one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six. we haven't got any callers yet so uh you know Stephen, i'll let you um uh you know i'll let you close out unless unless we get a caller but i'll let you close out on if you've got any thoughts on that and if you've got any thoughts on what's happening at the border right now yeah well you bring up a good point i think it is important for people to realize The whole distinction, you know, documented, undocumented, immigrant versus citizen, these are uh, divisions being driven by moneyed interests, right? So if you're sitting in your car listening to this going, yeah, but they're undocumented and and, and this and that, uh, you don't, you should listen to Jacob. It's true that if we got a $15 minimum wage for agricultural workers, that's actually good for you too. That means, first of all, people in your community who work those jobs have more money to spend at other local businesses and that gets more money into the community. It also means if you're down on your luck and you lose your job and you need to go take an agricultural job, maybe for the first time in your life, and work the summer because you've got some extra bills or whatever, that means that you're also going to be protected. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good for you. Now, hopefully we can get, move you into a place where you're empathetic to people who aren't like you and you're doing things that aren't totally uh, motivated by self-interest. But if not, you should understand that these things are also um, you know, good for you. Yeah. And so (laughs) I sent, I I sent something, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders in the next reconciliation bill, he's going to be trying to move the Medicare age down to 55 or 60. He's going to try to include, um, he's going to try to include, uh, dental and vision and things like that. So I sent that to a relative of mine who is 60 years old. Now I said, uh, Bernie's trying to help you out. And he was like, it's going to be on your back, not mine. And, you know, I just said like, yeah, you know what? Like if that's the case and I have to pay a couple dollars more in tax, so that uh, old people can hear, you know, I mean, I don't know, call me crazy, but I'm fine with that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and in terms but, of, uh, you know, the border, I'm not the, the foremost expert on on the border necessarily. I do have a lot of clients who um, have come over uh, really since 2013 
um, seeking asylum. They were allowed in. They, they go to their hearings. They overwhelmingly go to their hearings. It's something like 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want people to understand is in your community right now, there's tons of these people who came seeking asylum and they're just working, they're living, they don't affect you at all. You don't notice them. <laughs> and, you know, we've been able to absorb and, and uh, integrate people um, who've been fleeing uh, all kinds of different circumstances throughout the world. And, and it's not just the right thing to do uh, on a humanitarian level, but it's also our legal obligation. We do have legal obligations um, to, you know, treat people a certain way and to uh, offer them certain procedures if they're fleeing uh, their countries. So, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's true. You know, you mentioned that, that as far as law and order and the right way, asylum is the law and getting asylum is the right way to come into the country. We did get a caller. We've only got about 10 minutes left with Stephen. Uh, so we've got uh, Lee on the line. Lee, uh, where are you calling from? Huntsville. Lee from Huntsville. Uh, what's your question? Just curious, not even going to comment on the loose back and forth between undocumented documented as if there's not that much difference which of course there is but um my question for you is if you give a 15 dollars wage for agricultural work how are the rest of us going to afford the produce uh at that cost level because it will drive the cost up exponentially mm-hmm. yeah well uh, to your first comment um the distinction between uh undocumented and documented workers i, I think it's really important to un- for people to understand how arbitrary it is, who gets and who doesn't get papers in this country. Um, people can get papers if they've been here, you know, maybe they've been here illegally or undocumented for over 10 years, and then they end up in removal proceedings, they can end up winning a green card. That's technically a right way to do it. Other people have been here 20 years and paid taxes and done everything above board, uh, but there's no way for them to get papers. And so, um, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but I also think that we need to really look at the, the system as it is and to understand that the people who end up in one basket or the other, it's not due to merit. It's due to a random sort of patchwork of bad laws that need to be updated. In terms of... I don't disagree can- with that. I don't disagree with that. But I do think we should have a better expanded worker program where they can come and then exit our country because I don't think that people coming here for we can't support the entire world so there needs to be a better way for people to come in and be able to work and leave so we don't need to be supporting these people with our social programs that should be uh, reserved for the citizens of our country that that's just my opinion but tell me about the how we would how we would stop the increase in the cost the increase in produce prices I think that anytime you look at a, an economy that says, in order for us to have something that we need, like food, other people have to live in abject poverty, and that's just the way that it has to be, we need to really take a closer look at that, right? And so, first of all, I don't know that it's true that the prices would go up all that much if we raised uh, wages. I, I don't think that I've ever seen the growers actually present the math on that. We hear things like that about the $15 minimum wage all the time, but then you look at places like Seattle where they've they've implemented a $15 minimum wage and prices have not increased um, in any significant way. And then the other thing, like I was mentioning to Jacob earlier, if the president can get us into a trade war and we can come up with 
tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars to just give to the farmers. And it's and it's, it doesn't register on anyone's radar. Nobody cares. Then certainly if we saw a situation where farm workers were making $15 a, uh, an hour and, and produce prices started to go up, there's no reason why that same type of money couldn't be used to either um, subsidize the the uh, the cost of food or to subsidize the workers directly. So, um, I you know, I, I understand the concern, but also I want you to step back and think to yourself, wait a minute, what I'm saying is that in order for me to eat, we need to have impoverished people in this country. Impoverished and, people in this country for a season and then kick them back out is what she said, actually. Right. And so, you know, we need to be better than that. And it's not a right left thing. It's not a liberal conservative thing. It's just, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't want the guy who comes to fix my kitchen to have to, you know, uh, live on poverty wages, or I don't want the, somebody who cuts my lawn to have to live on poverty wages. I think that people should, who work hard, should live with dignity, mm-hmm. right? And so if that's not happening, or if I think that that's necessary, um, then we need to take a step back and, and think about how we can fix that. Right, yeah, just because something is, is a certain way doesn't mean that it has to be that way. That's that's certain. We've got one more caller. Jeff, where are you calling from? Uh, Jeff from New Orleans, how are you doing? Jeff from New Orleans. What's your question? Uh, hey, I was calling to uh, talk a little bit about how workers who are who don't have immigration status are also um, misclassified often as uh, you know where, where they would often have jobs that where they would be an employee they would get misclassified as an independent contractor can Stephen can you talk a little bit about that and how that uh, impacts how uh, you know these workers are treated um, I actually don't know too much about that um, and, and maybe uh, you do um, and, and I'd mm-hmm. love, love to hear uh, more about that but I don't, I don't know too much about that issue okay I do know. I do know what what Jacob mentioned earlier about uh, ICE being called at the end of a, a successful um, organization effort. Uh, I've definitely heard those stories, um, and and those kinds of things uh, definitely happen uh, to undocumented workers. Yeah, well, that's one of the things like like uh, that. I guess my uh, I have some friends that work for the uh, Great New Orleans AFL CIO, and they talk about how immigration status is often leveraged against these workers mm-hmm. so that they, I mean, when they, you know, would technically have, you know, the same rights as other workers to, you know, when they're on the work, on the work site, uh, they're, they're sort of influenced to not exercise those rights. And, uh, I just wanted to really quickly plug one other thing, uh, which is like, like the pro act would be something that would, which is going through Congress that's already been passed through the house. Um, that would sort of really, really uh, push against that uh, that kind of a force. It would make it much more difficult to misclassify those workers. There's different penalties to um, for that. So, yeah, Jeff, uh, Stephen mentioned this to me before the show, which is that uh, that yeah, and, and I I knew this, but I had forgotten it that the NLRA doesn't cover agricultural work, and so uh, right. I can't recall if the Pro Act actually the, the Pro Act is is an amendment. To the NLRA, and so I can't recall if oh, it the wouldn't, I, I it can't. Apply. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not sure if the Pro Act amends it to cover agricultural work. And I guess Stephen, since since you haven't heard much about what the Pro Act would do to, to ag workers, I'm, I'm I'm kind of assuming that it doesn't actually do that. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't I, I don't think it does. 
But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting point. I think, you know, more broadly and, and to the last caller's point too, um, the, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act still treats undocumented workers like criminals. It, it uh, finds them and puts them on this long, laborious path to a green card. But nowhere does it say anything about holding the the farmers accountable for employing people who they knew were undocumented. And so, um, you know, it, I, I don't see quite as enough progress on that front of, um, you know, holding, uh, you know, the employers to account, but hopefully the PRO Act, um, you know, provides a little bit more um, rights to the workers. Yeah, and, and you well, know, Lee, if you're... Oh, no, yeah, and, and Lee, if you're still listening, actually, uh, uh, as far as you mentioned about um, immigrants, you know, taking advantage of our of our social programs, so to speak, uh, I wrote an article um, some time ago. I just published it on, on Medium, and, and if you follow me on Twitter, at Jacob M underscore AL, I'll tweet that article out again. Um, I, I did a lot of digging, and actually, like, if you compare similarly situated immigrants, documented and undocumented, they use significantly less, uh, they use significantly less social programs yeah. than similarly situated native workers. That is just not up for dispute. And additionally, their children, the the firstborn children of immigrant workers, uh, actually do the bring in more tax revenue than any other group of Americans uh, it, 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 at at all. I mean, it, it's it's really fascinating how how much more uh, how, how much more than than a you know third or fourth or fifth generation American. It's fascinating how much a first-generation American citizen, the 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 children of immigrants, uh, contribute more to our tax coffers than than any other group. It, it it's really a lot. So if you follow me, I'll tweet that out after the show uh, on Twitter at Jacobin underscore al. Stephen uh, and Jeff, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Um, I think, I, and I'm pretty sure Jeff is actually the host of uh, Good Morning Comrade, which is another show on uh, WHIV in new orleans uh so and and he actually put me in touch with dr deary the founder of the station uh so steven we've got about a minute left i really appreciate your time you've been very generous i've enjoyed the conversation i hope folks have learned some stuff what are some of your closing thoughts uh, on this subject and where can people find you uh i'm on i'm on the twitter just like you uh yakima abogado is my twitter handle Uh, the podcast is called redirect um, and yeah, um, you know, I, I appreciate the call from Lee, uh, and, uh, she has some concerns, but again, I, I, I really hope that people can just start to see these people as people, right. Um, mm-hmm. they're, uh, hardworking, uh, for the most part, obviously they're like everybody else. Um, and yeah. they just want an opportunity to, uh, feed their kids, to, uh, live with dignity and, uh, to be a part of our community. And so I think that as Americans, we can uh, do a better job of uh, providing that. Yeah. Stephen, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, thank you so much again for your time. You can find him on Twitter at Yakima Abogado. Uh, you can listen to his podcast, Redirect, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and so make sure you tune in. Folks listening on WHIV, we're going to be signing off. If you want to hear the last half hour of the show, make sure you're following us on YouTube at The Valley Labor Report, following us on Twitter at Labor Reporters, stuff like that. Everybody else, we 
will see you on the other side of the break. Make sure you stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. This is News Talk 770 AM, 92.5 FM, WVNN. News starts now. COVID vaccinations hitting record numbers in the U.S., but with cases rising in 18 states, Dr. Anthony Fauci telling ABC News he's concerned about another surge. So he says, keep wearing them. We have between 50 and 60,000 new infections a day. When you're at that level, you still got to wear a mask. At least eight shot, two killed across multiple crime scenes in Virginia Beach overnight. An officer shot and killed a suspect that confronted police. At the southern border, state troopers in Texas saying they're facing one of the biggest migrant surges they've seen in years. Democrat and Republican lawmakers visiting border facilities over the past few days to look at conditions. In Egypt, crews working to free a cargo ship stuck in the Suez Canal. They got it to budge slightly. The hope that today's high tide will help free it. The ship has been blocking the channel since Tuesday, and the shipping journal Lloyd's List estimates the blockage is costing the industry $400 million per hour. Dave Packer, ABC News. WVNN. Depend on it. All right, folks, welcome back to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host David Story. We've got in studio friend of the show, Adam Keller. We have gotten, we folks, the folks from WHRV, WHIV are not listening anymore. We've gotten rid of those folks. It's just, just us now, just you and me. Uh, <laughs> if you want to call in about anything else, you've got, with uh, you, you've got here myself. I'm a unionist. I'm secretary treasurer of the Labor Council. David is the uh, is the president of a machinist union local here in Decatur. He is a a hundred year union member, seventy eighty year union member. Been been in the movement since the AFL was founded. Uh, so you know he can. He can answer your questions. Adam is an educator and labor organizer. You can ask him some questions, anything you want, anything at all you want. One eight six six four nine four nine eight six six. Yeah, I mean the you know, it, 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 and and what Stephen was saying, you know, it, if you if you genuinely believe that like we've got to have people living in poverty, we've got to have people oppressed to be able to get bananas for 30 cents. Maybe we should pay 60 cents for bananas. Maybe we should pay a dollar for a banana. You know, I mean like the I you know, I'm willing to I I'm willing to pay a little bit more. And this is something this is something that folks say about undocumented immigrants all the time. They say uh, that in the push to make e-verify mandatory uh, for for everything, they say, you know, costs will go up, but I I'm willing to support a, a good American citizen and pay them a little bit more for for my construction on my house. And uh, you know, these undocumented immigrants, they're people too, and uh, they, you know, they do not deserve to be to be treated like, uh, you know, uh, like disposable uh, pawns, so that you can have thirty cent bananas or you know whatever they cost. And 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 you know, and I think I, I think that 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 folks that have undocumented immigrants in their lives, like they know this, and I actually I actually know Trump voters that have undocumented immigrants in their life. They voted for Trump both times. For what reason is beyond me. But I remember uh, 
uh, hearing a story about them, um, the, the, the folks that they know that are undocumented, they were in removal proceedings and they were looking at, they were looking at very potentially being deported under the Obama administration. Uh, and the Obama administration, contrary to what you will hear on this station, is, was not a very immigrant-friendly administration. It was very, very anti-immigrant, very nativist in a lot of ways. And uh, so this person was looking at being deported by the Obama administration. And these Trump voters, I remember uh, hearing stories about them having their entire conservative evangelical church just about in tears praying for their ability to stay in this country. Every single undocumented immigrant is just as valuable as that one person that you know that's undocumented. They're all, they're, I mean, they're all people. They're all just trying to do what they can to get by and, you know, having some humility ab- about your own situation and showing some empathy and humanity for their situation would really go a long way. Uh, shifting topics... From that, again, if you want to talk about uh, about anything else, one eight six six four nine four nine eight six six is the number. Uh, last week, the Daily Wire, uh, um, somebody from the Daily Wire tweeted out a op-ed from the uh, Wall Street Journal about this this fella who had written a book. I don't even know what it was about, but it was some. A, you know, pr- presumably a conservative book that Amazon uh, did not carry, and so there was this whole this whole um, there was this whole op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about uh, about how this was censorship and they were it was uh, uh, harming free speech rights and things like that and you know like here's what I <laughs> like and oh and I looked it up. This person is a multi-millionaire. This person owns a business, and they they're go, getting this huge platform in the Wall Street Journal to pontificate about their uh, you know about their being censored, and you know look, I'm a worker. I'm a union activist. I just frankly don't care whether or not a multi-millionaire gets their book on Amazon.com while. We're fa- while uh, workers, while everyday Alabamians, while everyday Americans across this country get fired for union organizing, while people are fired for, uh, while people are fired for advocating for better wages and working conditions on the job. And if you don't think this is a thing that happens, it does. It happens all the time. In fact, I believe. One out of every five union organizers in an organizing drive is fired illegally. That doesn't that doesn't count the the uh, uh, really skirting the line legal firings that you got. One ever one out of every five union organizers are fired during the drive illegally, and the protections in this country make it such that. Breaking the law for these big, especially for these big corporations like Amazon, like Walmart, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, breaking the law just becomes the price of business. And you, and, and, and I mean seriously, you can. There was a uh, there was a warehouse worker for Amazon that was fired for organizing back in 2017. 2017, he was just the NLRB mandated that he be reinstated last week. What is the penalty for Amazon having been found to illegally fire this person? What was the penalty? They only have to pay back wages for what he would have earned at Amazon minus what he has earned in the four intervening years. 
That is not a penalty at all for a multi-billion dollar company like Amazon. That's not a penalty at all. When when you just have to pay back wages for one worker for uh, and not even the entirety of back wages over four years. It's just what they would have what they would have earned at Amazon minus what they did earn. So if he got a job that was better than the job at Amazon, which is really not that hard to do, even here in Alabama, local regional warehouses that are not that are not even multi-million dollar operations, they're uh, just mom and pop warehouses. They pay more than Amazon does. When you actually compare Amazon's wages to comparable work, when you don't compare their wages to McDonald's, when you compare it to comparable logistics work, Amazon has some of the lowest prices in the country. And regional warehouses here in Alabama in the Birmingham and Bessemer area that are unionized with RWDSU, which is the union that uh, the workers at the Amazon facility are trying to unionize, they make $18, $19 an hour, $21 an hour. They have better health care, better benefits, uh, better leave, I mean, you know, and, and, and a more relaxed job setting. And so, if Amazon can fire one union organizer to put strike fear in the hearts of the rest of the plant and only have to pay the differential between their wages and another and wherever they wherever they get uh earn income in the intervening period, Oftentimes, they don't even have to pay back wages at all because they oftentimes get a better job than they would have gotten at Amazon. And then they they have to say that they can be reinstated. But of course, most of these people don't go back to work there because it's worse than where they end up getting the job. And so it's just, it is a, the labor law in this country is so lopsided in favor of the employer. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to pass the PRO Act. And that is why until... Until we get a legal regime in this country where cancel culture for workers is not a thing, where workers can advocate for better working conditions, better wages on the job, where they have free speech rights on the job, uh, where they cannot be kicked out of housing because they're LGBT, where uh, they, you know, where they have real rights, where they're not going to get canceled for advocating for better wages. I don't care if you're multimillionaire. Uh, uh, you know, shock jock doesn't get his book on Amazon.com. Okay, I just don't care. It doesn't matter even a little bit. Not even like what it doesn't register in in my in in my list of concerns until we take care of average working people in this country. It, it's not on my list of concerns. We've got to call Jason from Hartzell. Jason, what you got for me? Yeah, I'm I'm fine with the. People come here to work. I totally understand that. They're breaking the law, breaking the law. And when you talk about raising minimum wage, why don't we get people that's on welfare and government housing that's able-bodied to work to make them work? Uh, so I'm not totally sure how those are related, but uh, welfare in this country is, in most cases, actually there are work requirements on quite a lot of the social programs that you get for being in poverty. So, you know... And, and, but you're and, talking about the, the corporations laws if in their favor are breaking the law. What's the difference in people coming here illegally? Uh, what's, so, what's the difference between a multi-billion dollar corporation breaking the law in order to keep their workers' wages low and... 
somebody coming over I mean, here I'm undocumented. I'm it's the law. You're and, not following the law. And, and, and what, so what's the difference between a multi-billion dollar corporation breaking the law to keep their workers' wages low and their working conditions poor and a poor person fleeing uh, from violence, poverty, and uh, and political persecution from another country and coming here to make a living and and be able to have a somewhat decent life. I mean, you know, I think I think the difference is clear. I think I think that when you you know a, a person in poverty who who can't afford a uh, a loaf of bread stealing a loaf of bread, I think that is. And I think I think if you actually even look at the Bible, there is a there there is a hierarchy of sins. Right, murdering is like way worse than lying. I think stealing a loaf of bread so that your children can eat is much less bad than a multi-billion-dollar corporation firing workers for organizing for better work- wages and working conditions. Like, it, like it doesn't it doesn't even compute. To, like the difference is so vast. I'm, like, I mean, do you know? Do, do you see what I'm saying, Jason? Like, I don't understand how you don't see that difference. And I, do. I and I and I work a job and I own a small business. Mm-hmm. I totally, I totally, and like I said, I don't blame nobody for coming here. But the right. asylum mall is are they not supposed to go to the closest country to them? No, they don't have to. No, they can go to uh, that. That that's not that's not a uh, that's not something that they have to do. So you think we can take all of them that come up here, open the border? Uh, can we take? Every refugee in the world, no, but I don't think that every refugee in the world is going to come to uh, the United States. I think that we can take um, most of them that are coming, and certainly the ones that are here. If you listen, you know, if you listen to just about anybody, they're going to tell you that it it, it just would not be feasible to uh, it would simply not be feasible to deport all the people that are living here undocumented and so we can have a conversation about what should our immigration policy be moving forward but the people that are here are here and our um, and our economy would com- be completely destroyed uh, it, it, it would be completely destroyed if we deported all, all the people that are here undocumented I, I, I agree with that I agree. Right. The, the people that are coming here we need to know who they are and kind of their background we don't want to have a clue who they are. Yeah, I think uh, you know when they're coming through, they they collect their information and they and they get their information and and and, and they have contact information so that they can set them up for a hearing at a later date uh, for these people that are coming here and claiming asylum. And if you look at actually the the return rates, one of the things that I hear on this station, in fact, all the time, is that uh, they get their information and they never come back for a hearing. I mean, that's just a lie. Like if you actually look at the return rates for their court hearings, it's something on the order of. 80% and if they have a lawyer it's not it's like 97 98 99% of the time they show up for their court hearings because nobody wants to like nobody wants to always live in fear looking over their shoulder for ice or for the local police no one wants to live that way if you can give people a a, a right avenue a road to go down where they're going to have legal status and legal protections they're going to go down that road unless it is impossible and the the problem that that our immigration system has is that for so many people in so many cases it is nearly impossible or it takes an extraordinary inordinate amount of work to get on that that road towards uh, legal protection and legal status and so we need to um 
you know, we need to we need to open it up, make it easier, make it make it more streamlined, make it more accessible, more more understandable, so that people do that uh, and do it the right way. And you know, one of the one of the issues is uh, is that folks like me, m- when when my family came here, I uh, my family's actually been here since before the Revolutionary War, and uh, th- there were no papers there. You know, they they didn't have any papers. They just came and they showed up, and that was the way that it was until uh, for white people until the 1930s. For white people, you could just come out of here you didn't need anything at all there was no such you know there was no federal immigration law at all for white folks the first federal immigration law was in 1882 the chinese exclusion act and so you know most of us that are here that are white that have this heritage we came here what would have been undocumented and so for us to take up the ladder um behind us i think is is kind of is kind of sad in 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 my opinion jason do you have any other thoughts no, I'm, I, like I said, the border just needs to be where they check them when they come in. Other than that, I don't care, but they need to be mm-hmm. checked, and they're not all getting checked. They're not all going to check for once. Right. Uh, Jason, I appreciate your call, and you'll be happy to know that they do that for uh, virtually all of them that are coming through the border. Uh, they, they are checked, and especially the ones that are housed in, in facilities and things like that. So thank you for your call, Jason. I genuinely appreciate it. Uh, we've got Isaac from Auburn on the line. Isaac, what you got for me? First time caller. Uh, happy to see my friend and union brother Adam in the studio today. So I <laughs> wanted to call in and hop into this conversation. Um, first, I'll start by saying, you know, when I listened to Attorney Robbins, I didn't hear him talk a lot about a welfare state. You know, I, t- I heard him talk about the dignity and rights of human beings and workers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the callers keep bringing up a welfare state. So my question is, what is this great welfare state that America has? <laughs> my understanding is most of the benefits we enjoy are provided by our employers and are in contingent on our employment. Mm-hmm. So I just want to uh, hear what y'all have to say about that, and I'll take uh, the response off the line. Thanks. Thanks for calling, Isaac. Adam, you looked like you had something to say about that. If anyone knows how to live a luxurious lifestyle through the American welfare state, please give us a call and let us know how we sign up. We would love those instructions. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I think I think that's it. I think I think most folks that uh, if you've ever actually uh, if you've ever actually been unemployed, if you've ever actually uh, had to live for an extended period of time without a job, uh, without employment prospects, without, uh, you know, w- without family helping you out. You know, I know a lot of people that rail on handouts and stuff that that get by on mommy's money. You know, I mean, that's mom and daddy's money. And, and, and then they'll turn around and say, you shouldn't be able to you shouldn't be able to live um, because you're unemployed. Uh, and the only reason that they're alive is because of their family connections. And, and you know, I, it's, uh, yeah, I do think, uh, Isaac, I do think that it's, it's, it's a bit silly. Uh, some of, some of the way that, that folks talk about, uh, the welfare state in this country, because you, you definitely cannot live a luxurious life. You can't even live really, certainly not in Alabama. I don't, I'm not really, I'm not terribly familiar with, uh, the programs here in Alabama, certainly not familiar with, with ones in maybe more generous states like Massachusetts or California or whatever, but, uh, but certainly in Alabama, if you don't have a job, uh, you are not living large. And that is an understatement. I mean, <laughs> it's, 
That's absolutely true. And I think it just goes back to that framing uh, that we really had since Ronald Reagan and before, of uh, you know, the quote unquote welfare queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, it's, again, one of those divide and conquer tactics among working people to get us concerned about someone lower than us mm-hmm. who may be getting something we're not getting as opposed to looking up at the bosses and politicians who are actually in charge. Yeah, that that's I mean, that. That really hits the nail on the head. So many of these culture war issues that you get about like, oh, immigrants either taking your jobs or being lazy and living completely off of your tax dollars, which seem like mutually exclusive things to me, but apparently they're not. Apparently, they are both taking all of our jobs and taking all of our benefits. But, you know, I mean, it's it it's uh, they the, the the folks that have a lot of power. That, that have the power to actually change things, to actually make workers' lives in this country materially better. They don't want you thinking about that. They don't want you thinking about the power that they have, and so they want you to think about, oh, this this immigrant over here is maybe uh, maybe has this one thing that you don't, or, or maybe they're going to come almost to what you have, or half of what you have, and you need to be concerned about that instead of being concerned about lifting the boats for every single American and immigrant in this country. It's 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 really indicative of, of that divide and conquer tactic, and that and that's what happens in union drives in every union drive across the country, every contract fight across the country in union workplaces. David has had to deal with this multiple times about uh, you know there are certain there are certain benefits in your workplace. Now we're not talking we're, we're moving off of of the conversation a bit uh, into into workplace benefits, but there are certain benefits that you get from your job that are more helpful to different segments of the workforce. And so the retirement is more immediately uh, is more immediately immediately salient to the older workforce, to to the people that are above 50 or so. And so if you can say, if you can offer up the, the workplace, the union, if you can offer them a contract that keeps retirement in place for everybody above 45 or for everybody that even works at a, uh, uh, the, everybody that works there at that moment, but takes it away or cuts it for everybody that comes in after 2021 or after 2022, you've got a really easy way to divide up the workforce and get, and get the, the folks in the union uh, fighting each other instead of coming together and fighting the boss for better benefits, better wages, and better working conditions for all of their coworkers, all of their sisters and brothers on the job. And so, dividing and conquering is something that bosses, it's something that politicians, it's something that uh, that media personalities do that don't want you to think about how can I make my life better and how can I make the life for my sisters and brothers over here on the job in my community better. And so, you know, I mean, that's 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 really something that. Uh, I think that that's a that's a really good point, Adam. And that, I think that is the power of the labor movement that we have to keep in mind at all times is the ability to bridge that divide, right? Uh, because ultimately, solidarity is not just a cliche that an injury to one is an injury to all. That that is real, mm-hmm. uh, and solidarity really is just love expressed socially, right? right? And so, as we remember that, what happens to uh, that older worker fighting for retirement also impacts the younger worker fighting for maternity leave. So, mm-hmm. you know, the divide and conquer is has been perfected over 400 years in this country. It's not going to go any way, go away anytime soon. But that is the power of labor to transcend that. 
Right. And the only way for the younger workers to get good maternity leave and for the older workers to get good retirement is for the younger workers not to give when they're just offered maternity leave and say uh, no retirement. It's for the older workers to not give when they're offered retirement with no maternity leave. If everybody understands each other's issues and we're all willing to fight for one another's issues, we can all benefit and we can all get what we need and that's and that's really the way to build coalitions uh, within the workplace and without and, and, and you know within the community. You know, we've we've got there. There are so many things that that affect some and not others. Like 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 I said, you know, I don't have I don't have children. I don't know if my children when I have children, if I have children, I don't know if they're going to go to Huntsville City Schools. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I get to get out of sales taxes that go towards education or property taxes that go towards education. I still have to pay those, uh, and and I should because we're a community and having good schools. Even if I don't have children in them right now, it benefits me. It benefits me enormously to have the children in my community well educated, taken care of during the day, uh, not out, uh, you know, causing trouble <laughs> in my backyard or whatever. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it benefits everybody. And, and the same thing with these, you know, circling back around to the uh, circling back around to the conversation with immigrants. It benefits the community if they are making higher wages because what happens when workers make higher wages? They are able to go spend that in their community and uh, they're able to spend that in their community and... and and you know that that's going to increase sales taxes. That's going to help the small businesses. The small businesses once yeah, they get can, more yeah, consumption, they're, right uh, they're the, uh, when they get more consumption, they are um, they're going to do better. They're going to be able to hire more workers. And so and and, and that's something that's that's important to understand. And like uh, Stephen said, the fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage in Seattle, it did not there there did not come the predicted job loss. In fact, in the restaurant industry, jobs grew significantly after the passage of the $15 an hour minimum wage. And so, uh, you know, it would be good. It would be good if farm workers were able to make $15 an hour. It would be good if they had labor protection so that they could organize for better working conditions and, and wages. And, you know, if you give them the right to organize, if you give them the right to organize, uh, that is going to actually... That that's going to actually it could possibly preclude the need to pass a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage for uh, farm workers because if you give them the right to organize they can fight and take it for themselves like so many other union workers across this country have already done and so that's really my preferred method of, of bringing them up is to give it, give them the right to organize and uh and, and fight for themselves rather than legislators in D C passing something from on high that that gives them better wages and working conditions. Mike, we've got Mike on the line. Uh, Mike, where are you calling from? Yeah. Yeah, I'm from North Alabama. Mike from North Alabama, what you got for us? we got about three minutes. All right, so, man, you know, you're talking about the illegal immigration earlier and you're, you know, trying to compare spend and stuff to the Bible. And this is is my problem kind of with people that sit in these offices and, uh, sorry, I had a wisdom tooth pulled, so I can't really talk that well. But no worries. Y'all sit in the offices and don't really get down to the real world and have your feet your your feet on the ground doing the work. The illegal immigrants come over here and they destroy all communities that are already in poverty. 
by taking the jobs, you know, and y'all act like you're supposed to be okay with that, and then you want to compare sin, and you want to bring the Bible up. Well, look, in the Bible, it no sin is greater than the other. That's not true. Y'all, that is true. In the Bible, no, no, sin, is greater, no sin is greater than the other, man. And, you, and you, you sit there, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. If you do something wrong, it's wrong, plain and simple. If yeah. you break the law, you break the law, plain and simple. And you're, My, you're willing to just basically destroy America. To, you know, I don't have a problem with people coming here. Just come here the right way. Yeah, all right, Mike, thanks for the call. We've got about two minutes. I will respond. Uh, you said that the, the Bible says no sin is greater than the other, and that's just not true. It's just not true. If you do a, do a theological survey of the Scriptures, you'll be able to see that different sins are worse, and they get different punishment. And if you actually come to me and you tell me that murder is the same as saying uh, as stealing a Tootsie Roll from the grocery store— I just don't think you're a serious person. I think you're silly, frankly. I think it's silly. I think it's silly to believe that, and the Bible doesn't teach that. And, uh, you know, coming the right way, almost all of these people are coming the right way. Asylum is a legal international institution that these people have the right, uh, that America has agreed to give them the right to claim, and that that's the right way to do it. And, uh, you know, coming in and, 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 you know, think for a second about why they work for lower wages than maybe Native born citizens do. It is because they are more easily exploited by than native born citizens because of their lack of immigration status. And so if you fix if you fix the lack of immigration status, you fix the ease of exploitation that these workers face and you raise wages and benefits and working conditions for everybody in the area. And that's that's just a fact. That's a fact. I'll be tweeting that article that I wrote a while ago on my Twitter at Jacob M underscore A L by a hat the Valley Labor Report.org. WVNN Athens. WVNN FM Trinity. Accumulus Station.